City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. We are Tara and Cement again, and uh, it's Kevin Healy. Tara and Cement today because it is Transport Day, so we'll sort of be giving trains, buses, trams, and cars, and bikes, and pedestrians all going across Tara and Cement today. Zeb, yeah, Zeb Peaks right. over there saying that's all right. She agree with that. <laughs> um, I'm Kevin Healy, and we're going to have John McPherson on in the second half. He's our monthly regular commentator on transport issues. In the first half, though, we've got a uh, an item on on disability issues that. Yeah, we're going to have an interview with Anya Holmberg from the Disability Disability Resources Centre about the Transport for All campaign, um, which you attended a rally about a couple of weeks back. yeah, it's a good one. Right, okay, and then we'll get John to comment on that as well, and uh, away we'll go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all right. Look, I, well, I thought the first thing um, we'll, we'll go that pretty shortly, actually, so we won't rave on too long. So that gives people a, a, a small break. Um, <laughs> but I, I thought, interestingly enough, Santos, one of the biggest polluters in this country, uh, announced last week that it will no longer sell any products to customers in countries that have not pledged to reach net zero emissions, or are not signatories to the Paris Agreement. But it it will no longer it will sell them to countries that apparently have. So it's still going to it's still going to search for and extract oil and gas. So I thought, well, if it really cares about emission problems, why not just not sell it to anybody and leave it in the ground in the first place? What, what's your thoughts on that, Sam? Or am I being silly? Uh, not being silly, but I think you know. Money, money rules over anything else. Oh, of course, I forgot that bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right, you fingered it and won. You want a cup of tea for that? You want to get paid for that? Yeah, yeah. I think that <laughs> bit, of, bit of bribery here. Observation deserves a cup of tea. A cup of a cup of jasmine tea is your is your bribe. <laughs> While you're oh, pouring cool. that, we've got an announcement. So the King Lake Friends of the Forest are asking you to gather at the beautiful Telangi Tanglefoot picnic area at 2pm Saturday the 9th of April to oppose Vic Forest's planned logging along the track. Irreplaceable forests are being smashed for paper pulp and this can be stopped um, and the Great Tree Project's epic 80 metre mountain ash sculpture is going to be unveiled. So you can find further details from King Lake Friends of the Forest's um, it's kinglakefriendsoftheforest.com. So people should definitely check that out. All right. Now you've got to stand up and get your tea. Then you'll you know, rise up anyway. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's an important one. I, I didn't bring the item in today, but there, there has been the people, well, the people who care about forests are complaining that the government's bringing in laws that are going to make it even easier to chop them down, unfortunately. So, oh, no. Yeah. So uh, we might have a look at that at some point. But, yeah, it's... Uh, you know, I'm, but I'm sure that um, the the campaigners are out there and they're, they're incredibly courageous and they go out and they do wonderful things and let's hope they keep saving them and, or saving them as much as they can. Yeah. 
Uh, we had... Um, I, I felt we'd just... They say, oh, any other item we'll do, because we'll just get, we'll get it stuck into old Rupert Murdoch again. I love doing that. Um, <laughs> he did sack me years ago. I've got to get my own back a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, in fact, the sack letter was very interesting. It was on News Limited Letterhead, and it said, um, I believe you're more... It said... Um, I believe you are more than ever to satisfied with your employment. The feeling is mutual. I mean, that sounds like it's pretty accurate, yeah, at least. Signed by manager in chief. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's great. Did you keep it? Uh, no, I think I lost the letter, unfortunately. Oh. Yeah, it's gone somewhere. But that's what it said, yeah. But I did last seven years with him. Um, However, Lockie Murdoch, the co-chair of the, of the Murdoch lot, he made a speech last week in which he talked about great Australian values and how we have to maintain them. And uh, we go forward, we can also change, but there are great values that are strictly Australian and then to be in concept, a deeply rooted understanding that whatever our circumstances, we deserve the same opportunity to the same respect, the same fair go, beautiful stuff. And then he talks about those who would attack it, um, elements of the media, including the ABC, which he said often misrepresented the key traits and outlook of modern Australia. To listen to our national broadcaster or much of the media elite, which apparently he's not, is to hear about a uniquely racist, selfish, slavish and monochromatic country. The reality could not be more different. We are one of the most tolerant, generous, independent and multicultural countries in human history, not without fault but without peer. And it was vital younger Australians were armed with all the relevant facts and not undermined by being fed, quote, false ideological narratives. Which uh, So those who read the Herald Sun and other Murdoch papers and watch their television channels obviously don't get false ideological narratives and, uh, and get the relevant facts. Yep, so, yep. They're getting the true ideological that's narrative. Right. <laughs> now, you'll be pleased to know that he made that speech while he attended to the launch of the Centre for the Australian Way of Life with the Institute of Public Affairs. Mm. And other guests include Tony Abbott and Herald Sun people and all this wonderful. So I think that puts that in its place, the Institute of Public Affairs uh, function. He um, spoke yeah. And to show that they are showing us the relevant facts and, and all that's true, um, last Thursday's Herald Sun front page Big headline, blood on their hands, and the blood is on the hands of Dan Andrews and company, and this is over delays in triple O people, and certainly it probably needs to be improved, but suddenly it's blood on their hands, the whole government's uh, gone down. That's their usual approach, which is very good. Um, and they've also been advertising um, their wonderful Foxtel channel, and they have this one. They're going to have an election special. I'm going to ruffle papers here, listener. You'll hear all this. It's all wonderful. Uh, the campaign uncovered a Peter Credlin investigation on Sky News, a Foxtel company, etc. And they quote for, for uh, they quote Tony Abbott again. Tony Abbott saying our country can and should be better. And they've got photos. They've got um, um, even the um, right-wing leader of the Brexit Party in England, Nigel Farage, saying many of us look at what's happening in Australia with horror, but Peter's going to uncover all that for us. Now, this is all very interesting because that's Foxtel, uh, but also in not in their paper, but in, in The Age, the, the rival paper run by Channel 9, a news story this week that Foxtel has underpaid its staff by $4 million. That's the Australian way, isn't it? That's more what we're, that must be what Lachlan was talking about. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, right. Oh, dear. 
Well, on that lovely note, how so about we go? I just thought, I just thought we'd raise that. It was a sort of I found that uh, that all very interesting. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm sorry, I haven't got the full text of Lachlan's speech, but I'd like to hear the lot. It must have been wonderful. <laughs> Let's go on to this uh, interview. Okay. You can forward announce it again. Let people know in case they weren't listening. Yeah. Um, I think I think I announce it in the interview. So I think we should be able. Oh, to do you? Go okay. Right. Yeah. Well. Straight there. Okay. You're listening to City Limits on 3CR, and today we have Anya Homburg from the Disability Resources Centre on the line to talk about the Transport for All campaign. Hello, Anya. Do you want to start by introducing yourself and your work at the DRC? Yeah, so um, I'm Anya Homburg. I'm um, the Communications and Engagement Officer at the Disability Resources Centre. Um, we're a disability-led advocacy organization. So everyone who works at DRC has a disability. Um, and one of our major campaign focuses is and has been for a long time, um, the issue of accessibility of public transport for people with disabilities. Um, and that's what I'm here to talk about today. Yeah. And we've interviewed uh, the DRC in the past about this campaign for accessible transport in Victoria. Could you maybe give us a bit of a recap of the current situation with public transport and the standards for accessible transport deadline that has been a bit of the focus of the campaign? Yeah, absolutely. So um, public transport in Victoria has never been really great in terms of meeting disability access standards. Um, in particular, the campaign around this started about 40 years ago around the tram network. Um, if you've been on a Z-class tram, then you you know they're not accessible. They've got steps. And, um, and so that campaign started then, and it just sort of continued because the trams haven't improved that much. And um, we've discovered that trains and buses also still have lots of problems. Um, in 2002, the um, disability standards for accessible public transport was signed by the state government. Um, and that had a commitment to having a fully accessible public transport system by the the end of 2022, which is this year, and um, very very soon, and we're nowhere near that. Um, and I think anybody who uses public transport in the state of Victoria probably could just look around and say, "Oh yeah, we're nowhere near that." Um, unfortunately, there's been very little commitment to to the process. There's been very little funding to improve the infrastructure. There's been very little. Um, consultation, deadlines, transport system um, kind of revamps. There's been a lot of, there's been a lot of push in other areas of infrastructure and um, unfortunately public transport accessibility has kind of been left behind. Um, anything new that gets built has, has the standards in mind, but unfortunately there's so much of the network that is older that um, yeah, our state government's just kind of leaving behind and allowing allowing to continue to be inaccessible to large parts of the community. And the reason that's a big deal is, um, I mean, it's a big deal because it's a human rights issue. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that everybody should be able to use public transport irrespective of, you know, their their health status or their their disability um, but it's also a very big issue in a, in a broader sense because we live in a in a state with a huge population with an aging population um, once you reach the age of 65 you're twice as likely to need to rely on public transport so accessibility becomes important then um, almost half of us will have some sort of temporary impairment over the course of our lives whether that's an injury or like I am at this stage in my life, I'm a parent, I've got a pram that I'm traveling with. Um, accessibility goes beyond just the disability community and um, it's really letting down our public transport system. 
So recently, the Transport for All Coalition staged a series of actions across Melbourne, as well as a couple of regional sites. Um, How did those actions go? And did you have a a particular ask that you were calling for or um, something that spurred these particular actions? Um, yeah, so the biggest thing that spurred these actions was uh, the release of the new disability action plan for the state that made no further commitments to addressing the um, the, the lack of accessibility of our public transport system, um, which is, is pretty horrifying because the Victorian Auditor General did a report on the tram network alone um, and found that only 13% of it meets accessibility standards currently. And at the current rate of progress, it'll be 2066 before we have a fully accessible public transport system. So the fact that the the latest state disability plan didn't include any timelines, any targets, any plans for how they were going to kind of catch up. Now, I mean, we're we're realistic. We realize it's not going to happen by the end of this year. Um, But there's there's no new deadline moving forward. There's no commitment to to getting it done. Um, There was a lot of talk in the plan about more consultation, which we're frankly tired of. Um, you know, there are members of DRC who have been campaigning about this issue for 40 years. They've been consulted to death. Um, consultation's not the problem. Will and and funding and just a commitment to getting it done is the problem. So that's why we decided we wanted to um, protest again. And the protests went really well. We um, One thing that we do find with our community, the disability community, is that Live actions can be quite difficult to get large numbers of people to, particularly when you're trying to protest an inaccessible public transport system. Like, how do you how do you get to an inaccessible tram stop or an inaccessible train station if you have a disability? And like, so yeah, it's a bit of a catch um, twenty two. So we do find that the it is it is, and so we do find that the groups that we tend to get are small. Um, also, people's health status changes over the course of time, so it's unpredictable. So, you know, we usually say we bank for about a third of the people who said they want to come being able to come on the actual day for various health reasons. Um, so, I think they were small groups that we got in each of the places, but because we did multiple in a day, we were really able to kind of point out that this is an issue all across the state and for lots and lots of people, which I think was um, was really successful. And we um, we got a lot of support from local council members and, and mayors and a few other key people, which I think was really helpful. Um, yeah, and I suppose too that being able to do it in this in the city of Melbourne in a few spots and across the regions also felt quite important. I think a lot of people in Melbourne probably forget um, forget the regions, but there's some really huge problems for people with disabilities living in the regions being able to get around. So it's important that we highlight that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I saw on social media a bit of your actions. I saw a sign that said um, it had like a picture of a little skeleton waiting for a tram. It's saying, <laughs> imagine waiting 40 years for a tram, which I feel was like, yeah, really hitting home. Um, mm-hmm. And your media release for the action also says access to public transport not only requires better infrastructure, but also a fully staffed properly trained and supportive system. So could you talk a little bit about that more? Like uh, we've talked about Mm. previously a lot of the infrastructure requirements, um, but what are some of the other accessibility requirements that the government is lacking in? Um, Look, training of public transport staff in disability awareness, um, how to help somebody when they're having um, access issues is a huge one. And the other thing I would love to talk about is 
the complaint system that exists when things go wrong. Yeah. And and the fact that that doesn't work very well either. Um, so just just as a as a beginning point. So right after this, um, our protests, a woman named Janet Curtin in um, the regions had booked a, she, she uses a, a mobility scooter. She, she's not an ambulance. And um, she booked a V-line train to get herself back to Melbourne after a, a long day at work. And, and she booked it because sometimes those trains don't have accessible carriages. So she had to let them know and let V-line know, you know, I, I'm going to be there. I'm going to need help. And she ended up stranded at Shepparton Station because she couldn't get on the train, even though she'd pre-booked it. They didn't have the infrastructure in place. Um, the staff didn't handle it properly. Someone actually said, well, if you just walked onto the train, you could have caught it. You know, just someone someone clearly totally overwhelmed by, by the situation, not prepared for it, not trained. Um, and she ended up having to get a taxi and she had to wait three hours for a taxi that had to come from Bendigo because there's not enough accessible taxis. The taxi driver said that that happens at least twice a week, that someone gets stranded at one of the train stations and he gets called to drive, you know, an hour um, to get somewhere. Um, she didn't have any food or water while she was waiting. There was no accessible toilet. So in, in that context, you've got customer service staff who have no idea what to do. They haven't been trained which escalates an already really distressing situation for everyone. Um, you know, a lot of bus drivers and tram drivers, we hear stories about drivers um, trying to refuse people with their assistance animals. We hear about train drivers who, you know, forget that there's somebody on their train who needs, you know, who needs the ramp pulled out at a station and so someone gets stuck. Um, so all of those things are huge parts of access as well. And then there's also the community awareness issue too, which is that the general public often doesn't know a lot about accessibility. And so that can cause problems for people as well. Um, if you're traveling with, with an assistance dog, um, which like I do, you know, you'll sometimes get people looking at you funny or I've had a couple of times people just be deliberately incredibly rude and put me in a very difficult position because they think that I've just taken my pet dog on the tram um, and they, they don't realize what an assistance dog is or how that works. Um, and, you know, people not creating extra space so that, you know, people with mobility scooters or other mobility aids can move around. Um, awareness of making sure that, you know, you're keeping a seat vacant in case there is someone with an invisible disability. All of those things are wrapped up in accessibility. And then, of course, the one thing that, that we hear about often, often too from people with vision impairment and hearing impairment is the um, the notifications, the visual and auditory notifications are often not working. Yeah, they're, they're often even saying the completely the wrong stop when you get yeah, to a stop. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you, you know, if if you're if you're low vision, for example, you have to know exactly where you're going, or you're relying on those auditory announcements. And if they're wrong or they're not working, then you know you're stuck. And then you've got to ask someone nearby, and and that person has to have enough awareness to kind of know what's going on and not think it's strange. And all of this adds up to being really stressful. Um, which I think brings me to the next point. So my colleague Ali had a, a meeting with David Simmons, who's the head of accessibility for the Department of Transport. And he actually said to, to my colleague that um, apart from the tram system, accessibility on public transport in this state isn't that bad. We don't get very many complaints about it. Um, we were all kind of blown away by that statement. And I think part of it was because, A, we know that a lack of complaints about something doesn't mean that it's a good service. Like that's, that's well known. That's not an intellectually rigorous statement to make. 
But, um, but furthermore, the complaints process is extremely stressful. So when you think about everything I've just talked about, about the fact that the infrastructure itself isn't accessible, the staff are often not very well trained, the public community awareness isn't great, you're already dealing with a super stressful set of circumstances. If something goes wrong, then you have to decide to complain. And that's a multi-step process. Um, it's not necessarily an inaccessible process from a disability perspective, but it's multi-step, takes a lot of time, takes a lot of energy, and it often doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Janet, who we were speaking about before, who got stranded at Shepherdson Station, um, my colleague Allie has helped her submit a complaint before about something similar that happened. And it went all the way up to the ombudsman. And, you know, she works full time, has two children, manages a disability. She wouldn't have been able to go through the complaints process if she hadn't had support from someone. She had to be willing to take on all of that extra stress, the stress of, you know, extending that awful experience past its, you know, its finite limits in a way. And then it went all the way up to the ombudsman and nothing changed. You know, Uh, V-Line had to issue an apology and that was it. Um, and you talk to a lot of our, our colleagues who have been campaigning on this for a long time who are like, oh, yeah, the number of times we've received apologies from different public transport service providers or departments of government, like we're, we're sick of it. Um, so you wrap all of that up and you start to go, wow, OK, so it's extremely stressful from the beginning to the end. Um, so, of course, you're not getting a lot of complaints. And the other thing that happens is a lot of people just stop using public transport altogether because it's too stressful. You know, it, the risk of, of those things happening is just too hard. And so people just don't go places unless they have other means of getting there, um, which makes a lot of people in our community really reliant on others, on family, on friends, on, um, you know, financial, having extra financial resources, which many of them don't have. And I think another myth a lot of people will say to us is, oh, but, you know, if, if they can't use public transport, then they should get transport money from the NDIS. And it's like, oh, well, not that many people qualify for NDIS packages. And even if they do, transport's one of the things you have to fight really hard to get on your plan. It's not that simple. So yeah, inaccessibility is a very long and broad, it's a very broad spectrum, I suppose I'd say. Um, and the, the complaints process is part of that because you have to be resourced internally and in time to actually be able to make those complaints and kick up a stink. And um, yeah, that's, that's a lot to ask of people who are already managing complicated lives. Yeah. It's like, uh, let's give you lots of issues with public transport and then also put the onus on you to fix all of those issues. Absolutely. And the onus on us as a community to hold the government accountable over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that the, you know, that, that David Simmons, the head of accessibility for the Department of Transport, could say to us, oh, we don't get many complaints. It's not that bad. And I was thinking, did you read the report that we published two years ago? We did, we did a whole bunch of work for you guys. We went out to the community. We did a whole bunch of research and we wrote a report about the problems. It's not even that long. It's this is like in your wheelhouse. You haven't, have you read it? When, you know, how, and, and I, I, maybe he has, but I can't imagine he could have read that and then would have thought, to say to us, it's not that bad. Yeah. Like we, we know it is. We've shown you. We, we have taken the onus. You know, we've, we've taken the onus on ourselves to do that in order to help improve the system. Um, and even that's not enough. So it is a very frustrating um, situation. And I think a lot, of, a lot of people think of it as a niche issue. And, and it really isn't because disability is, is common. You know, one, 
one in four to one in five people will live with a disability at some point in their lives. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a much broader problem than, than we'd like to be led to believe. Yeah. And of course, things like improving training for staff, um, having more support on the network for like people to just ask for any kind of help, any questions, like that sort of thing is going to help everyone, you know, people who for English is a foreign language or, you know, people that are new to Melbourne and don't know how the transport system works. So many people would benefit from that. So that's another way that it's it's not niche at all. No. And, you know, one of the early protests, um, and I can't remember exactly when these happened, but um, at some point the tram network got rid of conductors. So there were actually, there was actually another second staff member on every single tram. And um, this is the first time that the rail tram and bus union and the disability community came together. And, and I'm really happy to say that we're still working together on this issue of accessible public transport. But um, there were huge protests to push back against eliminating the conductors from the tram network when they when they implemented that. Obviously that didn't work because there's there's no longer conductor staff. Um, but but that was the argument that was made that, you know, um, for the disability community, those staff members were really important because it helps them actually access the network. And obviously for the for the union, that was a, a group of trained staff who had been invested in and who had livelihoods that they were relying on. Um, and I, I agree with you from a from a general service provision um, perspective, it would be really good to have more of those staff available to do that kind of thing. And I actually had my own personal experience with it recently. Um, you know, traveling down St. Kilda Road was with with a friend and my baby and the pram and my assistant's dog. And um, we we're just trying to get to the botanical gardens. And we've been standing there for quite a long time. And someone came up to us and was like, oh, can I help you? Because we do have staff at that at that platform. And I said, oh, we're just waiting for a low floor tram so that I can get on the tram with the pram. And he's like, oh, well, I could I could carry, you know, I could carry it up for you and get get you onto one of the ones with steps. I'm like, yes, but then what am I going to do when we get to the other station? When we get to stop and there's no one there. He's like, oh, that is a good point. And so, you know, we had to wait for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, which at Flinders Street Station on St. Hilda Road is, is quite a long time. And the five-year-old who was with us was pretty impatient about it. Um, but that's that's where it is staffed. But he kind of, I could tell he went, oh, yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I'm just here. There's no one over there to help you. And yeah, and, and you know, I think too, Melbourne is, is a really wonderful city. And we talk a lot about it being a world-class city. Um, we talk about Victoria being a state where things are progressive and a lot of really cool stuff happens. And I I don't um, I don't wanna miss the regions in saying this. I think regional Victoria has these beautiful areas and is really committed to a lot of social justice issues and, and being a welcoming space. And yet our public transport system really isn't anywhere near up to scratch as compared to a lot of what we have to offer and what we're about um you know it it stuns international travelers that oh you mean I can't take a train it's going to take me how long to take a train to, to get to this other place and oh you mean I have to basically have to drive because the system's not working well or yeah it's um it's disappointing it lets us down it lets us down as a state and um yeah there's so much more that we could be doing so I guess with that in mind um what are the next steps that the Transport for All Coalition envisages? Um, and also, how can listeners get involved if 
if possible. Yeah, absolutely. So we've requested a meeting with some MPs in response to the protest. Um, so that's gone out today and we're hoping to get a response soon. Um, we did get a response from um, Premier Dan Andrews as well. So that's that's encouraging. So we're we're knocking on we're knocking on some MPs and some key decision makers doors and hopefully we'll have some news about a meeting in the next week or two. So we'll be able to sit down with them. Um, and we're speaking to some more journalists um, as well. So we're getting a little bit more general public awareness out there at the moment. And um, hopefully the next steps will be from that meeting. We should be we, we're hoping to be able to get some sort of commitment. And um, if we can't, then we will probably be taking to the streets again later in the year. Um, but I will let Ali let you know when, if and when that happens. Um, part of part of this is about the upcoming election as well that we're trying to point out because we have a state election coming up that um, that this really is something that should be a priority for both parties to consider moving forward. You know, whoever's in government next, what are you going to do about this? And when are you going to do it? Um, and when must be soon <laughs> because enough is enough. One way that you can, that the people who are listening can really help us is if you just visit our um, our page, which is drc.org.au, there is a big red take action button right there on our homepage. And if you click on that, it'll take you to a series of options. Um, the biggest one being writing to your MP. So we've we set up a template for you. We really, really do need you to add your own personal paragraph. There's a little section there. We said, please fill this bit in um, just to personalize it, because we do find that if you just send out a pre-filled something, unless thousands and thousands and thousands of people send it mps go eh, yeah it's not a big deal um so please do include even if it's just one sentence you know why you think this is important why you think our public transport system really should work for everybody and be usable no matter who you are or what your life circumstances might be and that is the big one at the moment you can also follow us on social media on facebook we're um at drc um and that's a good way to keep in, um, in touch with us and see what's coming up next. Um, there'll probably be more actions. And the other thing you can do is um, if any of the stories you've heard from me today or um, anything you've learned from the recent media about it or your own experiences, talking to other people, talking to people who aren't part of the disability community about this issue is really important because the, the, big, the big thing that we need to move for now is that this isn't just the disability community asking for this, but this is the Victorian community saying, hold on a second, we want this. We all want this. We want an inclusive system. Um, we want it to work for everyone. Because the one thing I find is every time I talk to people who aren't in the community about my work, they're like, oh my God, I didn't realize it was so bad. That's terrible. Like, what are we doing about it? How is it? And, and this is how these things happen is that if people don't know, then the general public isn't pushing. And if the general public isn't pushing, it can be very difficult to get things to move because you get dismissed as a small group. So um, please have those conversations. And, um, and yeah, if you, if you have the time to write to your local MP using our template or um, through another means, please, please do let them know this is something that we want to get fixed. Yes, and listeners can also um, find all of those links, as always, on 3cr.org.au forward slash city limits. Um, yeah, we'll put the link to the DRC page as well as the Facebook page. We're kind of getting towards the end of the interview. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Anya. Um, any final thoughts before we finish up? I just want to say that if you believe that public transport accessibility isn't going to affect you or anyone you love over the course of your life that I can almost guarantee that you're you're going to be wrong at some point in your life you are going to find either yourself or someone that you're close to that's important to you is going to need access 
in some way, whether it's because they've injured themselves or because as they've gotten older, they have new needs or um, because something financial's happened or you, you know, you can't use your car for a couple of weeks and turns out that, you know, you're struggling to stand for too long or whatever, whatever it is, but accessibility is going to matter to all of us at some point in our lives. Um, so yeah, this, this is an issue that, that all of us need and no one deserves to be stranded at a train station for three hours. You know, no one deserves that. And, um, yeah, this is, and this is a problem that is solvable as well. I think we've been told the story that it's so expensive and so difficult and, and what we hear back when we speak to different parts of government and different individuals behind the scenes is that there's always the money. The money can always be found. It's the political will that is lacking. And, um, and that's something that we all have some power to influence. Thanks again for coming on the show. There we go. That was an interview with Anya Homburg from the DRC. And just to mention um, the Facebook handle, I think it cut out a little bit there, but it's at DRC Advocacy. Yeah, very interesting stuff and um, lots of issues there, which we'll talk to John McPherson about after this break because um, John's our regular commentator on transport. And we had planned, John and I had planned, in fact, we'd, to talk about transability um, issues today anyway. So uh, it all it all segues in beautifully, Zeb. Yeah. Um, yeah, we should actually have John on the well, we're line going to now. Okay, we're not taking a break. We're going to go straight to John. Yeah. Well, that's the break. <laughs> John... Um, some interesting stuff there. I was saying to you the other day, uh, um, I've mentioned many times that when you get to the Royal Park Station on the West Coburg line, it tells you this is the last accessible stop, but it's a long way to push a wheelchair from there to West Coburg. Um, yeah. And the other day I was in a tram because the upfield line wasn't running all weekend again, um, and um, a tram going to Flinders Street to catch a train, and... Uh, on Elizabeth Street and at Collins Street it announces this is the last accessible stop and you think, good God, you got that stop down at um, the station mm. at Elizabeth Street, Flinders Street. Why the hell can't they have an accessible stop there and why do people have to get off and push their wheelchairs a whole block to get to the station? I mean, this is, these are just some of the examples that have been talked about. Yeah, well, that's probably a minor minor issue in, you know, in some people's lives. But uh, it's not, I mean, it's not minor because, you know, it's, it's insane not to have a stop that's, uh, you know, adjacent to Flinders Street, uh, accessible thing. Um, it's a ma- the major interchange point probably for the whole network, yeah. And, of course, it does demand that it, 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 the point she made, you, you've got to make sure that, that it's an accessible tram in the first place. Um, and there's mm. stops where you want to get on and off. Um, so the, yep. the whole system is, is in chaos, really. Yeah, I think that's not a bad summation, Kevin. Uh, chaos, yes. Well, a point I'd make is that the last few generations of trams, you know, the modern ones, the last, you know, the ones that have been bought in the last mm. 10 years, say, they're quite capable of having uh, ramps put on their low-floor doors so that the, so that you can um, get on the get on at a, a a ground level stop, you know, extendable ramps. Yep. Um, but but um, you know they even though they're low floor, they still need a need a raised platform for level boarding, so that you can roll across from a platform into the tram. But if they but if they were ramps on the, on some of the, even some of the doors, people in wheelchairs would be able to get up them. 
and so would people with crutches, and so, you know, perhaps, and so would people with prams. I mean, also all bicycles sort of things, can't but, get them. Yeah, but, you know, it, it, it appears it's been a, you know, a, a, a decision made at some level in the bureaucracy or the government that, oh, no, that's too complicated for Melbourne. We can't do what all, you know, all major cities in, in Europe manage to do and things like that. Yeah. That's just too much. And these trams come from Europe. So, you know, they're, they're designed to have ramps on the doors and things like that. Mm. I, I was no. taken by the comment that uh, they don't get too many complaints, they said, and I thought, well, that's fair enough because no-one can use the bloody thing. Oh. Okay, I think we mm. lost John there. Something just happened to John's line then, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's okay. We might just go to a short break and I'll try and him retrieve back. him yeah. <laughs> onto the air. Another little, another little live radio catastrophe. Is ever. <laughs> it's all under control. Okay. This deal really accentuates and is very complementary to the white Australian domestic policy. Here you have not only a white alliance, but an Anglo-Saxon alliance of the ultimate cultural allies of the United States banding together and the significance that it is aimed at colored peoples, at Asian peoples, at Pacific peoples, this is injecting a horrible racial dimension to this conflict. So I think the U.S. and Australian elites' racist military policies are complementing the increasingly racist domestic policies. So I think, therefore, we really have to look out very, very carefully at this very dangerous synergy between racism on the military front and racism on the domestic front. Subscribe to 3CR. Where else can you hear radical news, analysis, music and opinions? Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377. John, you're back, are you? We lost you there somewhere. Yeah, we lost each other there somewhere. I was just saying, in fact, the line, I thought it was interesting. She said they, the department said it doesn't get many complaints, but I suppose it can't because not many people can use the system. Well, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of a classic Melbourne bureaucrat response, I think. You know, oh, no, we don't have to worry, worry about doing a better job because we don't get many complaints. Mm. So easy, yeah. Actually, you know, just to comment, we seem to have a pretty fuzzy connection today, so um, perhaps that's why things went, went pear-shaped. Yeah, yeah we'll see how we go. We'll hope, we'll, we'll yeah. not keep, hope we don't keep losing you there, Joe. Um, no. the, the, the story about the woman on Shepparton Station, I mean, it, she said it happens quite regularly. That's a, that's a horrific story, isn't it? Oh, um, uh, look. It's yeah, uh, it's it, it's um, I don't know. I really I really don't know what to say. But then then of course I say I will we'll provide you with a dis- disability taxi to get you get you where you want to go, which of course costs the state you know a great deal of money to then run that taxi for for hours, and and get, still gives the um, the, the traveller a bad you know a bad. Travel, bad experience, you know. It's 
it's sort of so easy, isn't it? But that you say, oh yeah, we'll give you a taxi. But that yeah, well, she had to wait an hour, hour for hour everyone. To but, but she also had to wait an hour for the taxi anyway. I think, yeah, I think she yeah. said three hours. Yeah. Was it three hours? Yeah. Was it? Right. So yeah. the fact yeah. that there's yeah. so few uh, disability accessible taxis yeah. that yeah. you know the yeah. the nearest one was three hours away. Yeah. Um, but, and that also links into. Um, so Anya was talking about how the RTBU is now involved in the Transport for All campaign and uh, Friends of the Earth is a, as well. They've got the sort of uh, angle of climate change and transport emissions as well and it right. it all like intersects in that, you know, if you're having to make a car drive three hours, that's also um, a climate issue. <laughs> yes, that's right. Down the line, it's still a it's still a climate issue, yeah, um, and and you know an incredibly bad experience for the for the traveller. Yeah, um, mm. um, I mean you know waiting three hours on on Shepparton Station would, would seem to me to be likely to make you feel very insecure and, and a bit afraid, you know, um, if particularly when there's hardly any if any staff around. Oh, well, uh, I don't know. You can go on and on. That, those sort yeah, of things are You terrible. can. That point you'd raise there, John, I mean, she she raised the point, but when yeah. we had conductors, when we had staff on every station, yeah. guards on trains, yeah. Um, yeah. these things wouldn't happen. People would have would have access to, to help of all sorts. Well, that's, well, that's right. I mean, I, this is not a disability issue, but uh, I've, I've heard of a case where somebody who didn't know the regional system very well... Um, um, Without it, you know, got on the wrong train at um, Ballarat and went 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 towards Maryborough rather than towards Melbourne, and that happened because the the crew on the train didn't bother to check that everybody on the train knew it was going to Maryborough rather than uh, you know going sorry it was going going to Maryborough not going to Melbourne, mm. and so this person ended up in Maryborough and they just shrugged and said oh well you'd have to find a a motel for the night and come back on the train in the morning. You know that was that was their experience, uh, and they didn't. They 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 said, well, there was no information to to actually tell us which train to get on. We didn't know there was were two trains in the station, one going one way, one one going the other at Ballarat. So all these things, yeah. yeah. The other one uh, she raised that I often thought of, in fact, last Sunday I was on a train and we had spent a long time in a station and I assumed it was because they were getting a wheelchair on or off or whatever. Right. Um, but, you know, as you know, it's, the wheelchairs have to go up where the driver is and the driver yes. then gets out and puts you in the front carriage. Yes. Yes. Now, I think the whole trip you must be on tenterhooks hoping to Christ the driver remembers to mm. where you want to get off. Mm. Um, and I'm sure she made the point. I mean, it must happen often that the driver forgets where the person mm. wants to get off. Yeah, well, it's an incredibly ramshackle way to do it, it seems to me, that you've got to rely on the driver, the single person on the... on the single staff member on the train to to do that. I mean, you might have you might have introduced that 20 years ago as an interim thing, but you would surely want to go on from that. But it's just remained the, the standard... The standard Melbourne thing, uh, and as you as you say, there's no way for the there's no way for the traveller to communicate to the driver. Hey, you know my station's coming up. You know you're supposed to that's supposed to be organised at the stop you get on, and you say you say all the right things to the driver, and you get on, and then and then of course the driver, you know, can forget. Yeah, yeah. Because you know they're they're busy.
Um, All right, we'll, we'll move on. Uh, you wanted to, I know you wanted to talk today about the um, the loop, the rail. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, look, before we go there, just one other thing I did want to raise with you, though. Yeah. There was a letter in The Age last week, Saturday week, um, opens up, a woman from Frankston South opens up saying, I would love my kids to be able to take public transport to school. Our bus stop is close by. The route runs directly to school. The fare is affordable and buses offer independence. But then she goes on to say, it runs once an hour. One gets the kid to school 58 minutes early and they're not supposed to be in the grounds until 8.30. And the next one gets there after school opens. So the kid has to be taken by car. And she then makes the point, she goes on to say that often the bus is delayed because of all the parents dropping their kids off because they can't catch the bus. But it's, <laughs> it's that problem of, of timetabling in Melbourne, isn't it? It's a disaster. Yep. Well, that, well I mean, you know, any route, in any route in, 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 the, in Melbourne metro, metro area that, you know, that, that, that only runs, runs once an hour in the peak periods particularly is... That's you know that's just so pathetic as to be completely laughable. I mean, it's completely you unusable. There, yeah, completely unusable. Uh, um, and, and yet, and yet they still serve up services like that, that from the Department of Transport, and expect people to use them and say, "Oh no, well nobody's using the bus." Well, gee, nobody's using the bus because the service is so so infrequent. That that you have to build your life twenty four hours a day around the bus service, you know, which in you know which is more than ridiculous. Yep. There, there you go. Yeah. Okay. And you wanted to talk and about the. And of course, the... there's probably an issue with reliability of the bus too. You know, there probably you know days when the bus doesn't turn up at all, and then there isn't anything. Ah, uh, you know. Yes. And at peak, they can get caught up in traffic, obviously, so they can be running quite late anyway, mm, and mm. all that. Oh, oh yeah. well, of course, yeah, yeah. And often, often the, um, you know, there's no uh, no attempt to give the bus any any better. Um, proof. What am I trying to say? Give it any more reliability by enabling it to jump the traffic at um, traffic lights or oh, anything like that. Good heavens! But, which has become a standard way to try and improve buses. There's a there's a little bit of that in Melbourne, but as usual. They did a bit of it, and then they sort of got tired and stopped and stopped doing it. So mm. it, it hasn't spread right across the bus, bus network. Um, look, I did want to make a comment about st- staff training and stuff with um, with people with disabilities. Mm. Um, it, it certainly seems as if there's very little training of staff to be aware. You know, to be aware of people with disabilities' needs. I'm thinking perhaps more of V-line trains, but even you know, because in the in in the city, because we only have um, drivers on suburban trains, there's there's really nobody to look out for the disability passenger. You know, on the train, <clears throat> which um, makes things difficult. And then, of course, there's complaints. They're difficult too, as we've discovered, and. Um, you know that 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 whole system um, can be um, can be quite labyrinthine, and then you get to a point where you're just given an apology, and that's it. That's that's supposed to fix it. But the idea of complaints in, in any sensible world is to use them as the basis for um, for fixing things up. And of course, you can assume that if there's only a small number of pl- complaints, that doesn't mean there aren't a whole lot more incidents. Um, yeah. Absolutely. You know, there's always, I think, 
I think um, organisations that know what they're doing use a multiplier for effect, multiplier for the complaints. So if we get 10 complaints, that really means possibly 50 people or 100 people have really been affected in the same way. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, the, the idea that you can just ignore ignore things because there are a huge number of complaints. That's um, that's pathetic. Yeah, uh, and it's another <clears throat> sort of, um, like, the governments can potentially use the argument that, like, infrastructure such as, um, like, access platforms, level access <clears throat> platforms for the new trams and things, um, that that's disruptive and, like, sort of... Um, you know, there's no way to... I mean, obviously, they, they could be doing more, but, that like, that's always going to take time because it's an infrastructure project. But something like introducing a training program for staff yeah. could be, like, that could be almost immediate, you would think. Yeah, well, you would think you would think that if you decided to do it, you know, comprehensively across the system, you might, you might be able to get an awful lot done in, say, one year, I would think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that mightn't be quick enough to use it, but that would, you know, for a bureaucracy, that would be pretty quick. But it seems to me that that wouldn't be beyond the pile. You know, that would be something you could do. Bureaucracy would be like a flesh. But, but uh, John, the other point you raised, was really interesting, I think, is that if you've got site problems, um, you need those messages to be clear yeah. Um, announcements to be clear, and mo- you know we know most of them these days are pre-recorded, um, yeah. and it doesn't happen often. But I've been, you know, you've been on the system where they're announcing the wrong stop or whatever, and if you're if you can't see, you're relying on that. That's a that's, that's right. a major problem. That's right. Um, what can I what can I say? Just that Except that all that happens, all yeah. that stuff has been introduced, you know, a long time ago onto the onto the rail rail and tram system and it should it should work reliably you know mm. um, but, I mean why but, can't the driver of the tram or the bus or the train make that announcement so they do, do mm. actually know where they are yeah well they used to of course yeah um, but that was another another thing that was um, has been automated um, apparently there's some bad benefit in automating it <laughs> yeah um, I just want to mention the connection between, say, the, introducing proper accessible stops on at least the tram system um, and all the money that's been spent on level crossing removals. Um, I think we're, we're up to 50 level crossings have been removed now. And that, of course, they, none of those projects have been cheap. Each of those projects has probably cost at least... $200 million to do. And the government has found that they're very, very popular. And so they've, um, you know, made the program more comprehensive over, over time. But, you know, you have to wonder whether some of that money should have been allocated to something like improving uh, accessibility on the tram, the tram network. Because the idea that it should take till 2066 to to make the whole system um, um, accessible is just, you know, it's just outrageous in what's supposed to be a, a modern first world country like Australia. Um, and I suspect that, that, that 
money that should be going towards things like accessibility is going going to the the uh, level crossing removal program. Yeah, it really highlights where the government's priorities are. Yeah, and you've already yeah. mentioned how the level crossing level crossing removal projects are um, essentially benefiting car yeah, drivers. Cars, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and it, it really shows that um, like. Everyone needs to step up. You know, non-disabled people need to um, step up and show that this is an issue that, like, everyone is yep. calling on the government to act on um, and that it is a priority for um, for yep. all Victorians that this gets, like, put to the top of the list of what needs to be improved for public yep. transport. Absolutely. Well, it's, you know, everybody at some stage in their life Will will be disabled even if it's only for a um, you know relatively brief period, and they'll discover how difficult difficult public transport can be. Then I remember being on crutches at one stage and having to get up, get up the high steps of a you know a Z class tram. That was very interesting. But getting down the steps was even more interesting on crutches. You know that was um, that was that was crazy. <laughs> I would I couldn't do it now. No. Yeah. No, but it's um, well, it's been you know we've been involved in these issues for a long, long time, and for, since what somewhere in the seventies, and they always tell us mm. they were going. To, they used to always tell us they were going to have it done, but in fifteen years, so mm. every mm. year it was going to be fifteen years. All you had to do mm. was wait fifteen years, obviously. But now there's they've actually announced an end of you know end of twenty twenty two, and there's just simply no way. And the suggestion being it'll go you know another, take another forty years or something, whatever. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, yeah, um, if if they prefer everybody with disabilities to be in taxis, you know, possibly that's what they really think behind the scenes in the bureaucracy. You know that that that's what they'd prefer. Well, they have the half fare taxi system for people with yeah. disabilities, but even if you're paying half a taxi fare and you're on well, exactly. welfare payment, um, it's, it's still a lot, a lot of money. money, and it's a lot more than than a Mikey ticket. No. No, well, most, I mean, I, I don't know, most first world cities, you know, would, would, uh, would uh, you know, have the view that, that the whole public transport system should be accessible. Now, another, I mean, another thing applies to buses. I mean, a lot of bus stops are so basic that even if the bus is a low-floor bus, you have great difficulty getting from the ground into that bus, at, you know, at some stops because there isn't even a, a concrete pad at the stop. You know, that means you, you're on stable ground if the bus kneels down and the, and the ramp comes out, because a lot of buses do have, do have ramps now, I do believe. Um, but apparently you can put a ramp on a bus, but, but it's too hard a thing to do um, on, a, on a tram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, of course, um, another jumping around a bit here, but, of course, on trains there are a lot of stations where the gaps between the, the train door and the platform are wide and, of course, um, platforms aren't at a, at a standard height. Uh, so there can be, you know, mismatches both in width of the gap between the, the, tra- the, the train and the platform and also the height, so that makes it particularly particularly difficult and I suppose that's why you know we're, we're still using the ramp the ramp idea on the train 
Mm. And so, that would be uh, that's a major problem, I think, for people with 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 sight problems because there's mm. no they're not no standardised sort of situation when you get the train pulls in or whatever mm. station you're mm. on, and no. you get used to it in your own station. But whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, uh, well, then we get back to the thing. Oh, yeah, this is the last stop with a with a with the, with you know disability stop on the route, mm. and the route goes on for another. Uh, 10 kilometres. Well, last Saturday um, I came on that, came to that, and coming up to the station, at least I was on a non-accessible tram, and so they didn't, they had the decency not to make that announcement, which I thought was good. <laughs> um, but of course that raises the point that also on those routes where there are so there are at least accessible stops. Mm. You've got to wait for an accessible tram, as the woman said in the interview. Yeah. Um, and not, not every stop, once you're on it, is accessible. So it's just, mm-hmm. again, as I said earlier, That's it's, right. just, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, like a, it's like a jigsaw puzzle that you've got to uh, solve solve before you've got a hope of using the, uh, yeah, using the tram. And, of course, the thing is that even if people have got disabilities, they want to be as independent as possible. Yeah. Hello. Yes. 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 Yeah. yeah. So, so the, um, so that's what that's what you know the system should be providing. You know the ability for people to you know to use it independently, without yeah. the need for somebody to produce a little ramp and or or, or generally muck around. Yeah. yeah. Well, on that note, yeah, we're (laughs) running out of time. John, we'll do the orbital loop. I know you want to talk about the orbital loop. We'll do that next month. Yeah, I think I think I think it's I think we're going to have to. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Okay. uh, Well, I I think I mean I think it is worth hammering the hammering the disability issues. Really, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long time, and nothing's really happening fast. That's for sure. Okay, John. Thanks thanks for your time again. Okay, thank, thanks to both of you. Zeb, thank yourself for doing a great interview and for keeping us on air. Okay, thanks, me. Um, we'll finish off the show with a little excerpt from Access, Access by Johnny Crescendo. Um, and, of course, Anarchist World is coming up next. And what have we got on next week, Kevin? Next week is energy issues, and uh, I can't remember what we've got on. Oh, we might talk to Paddy Moriarty about his new book as a possibility, um, but also there's so much happening around areas like uranium, we might even talk to Dave Sweeney and catch up with some of those areas, yeah. Yeah. All right, there we go. United we're strong, we won't go away because we know you're wrong. Access, access, you've had your way too long. We're here and we're gonna stay. You closed all the streets, the shutters out of town. You tried to give us sweets as you took away our ground. We don't want You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.